Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. So, after five months of radio silence, we're back. For those of you veteran audience members, thanks for being so patient with us. And for you new folks, welcome aboard. While we expect our global audience to be broad in career experience, managerial expertise, and leadership aspiration, we make no apologies for holding a special place in our hearts and minds for brand new managers. Those who have just been given a team, a budget, and a mission to deliver bottom line results to the greater organizational and societal good. There's no higher calling than being a great leader of good people. Let's get started. Today we're here talking to Adrian Gostick and Chester Elton, co-authors of a, a terrific new book entitled The Best Team Wins, The New Science of High Performance. Adrian is co-author of the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestsellers, obviously The Best Team Wins, The Carrot Principle, and All In. His books have been translated into 30 languages and have sold more than a million copies around the world. He's appeared on NBC's Today Show and CNN. He's been quoted in The Economist, Newsweek, New York Times, and Wall Street Journal. Adrian is a founding partner of The Culture Works, a global consultancy which helps organizations build high-performance work cultures. Chester Elton has been called the Apostle of Appreciation by The Globe and Mail, Canada's largest newspaper, and Creative and Refreshing by The New York Times. Chester is an in-demand speaker the world over and is co-author of several successful leadership books, including, surprise, surprise, the Best Team Wins, All In, The Carrot Principle, and The Orange Revolution. He is number 12 on the list of top 30 leadership gurus in the world. He's a LinkedIn influencer, who I follow, and a regular commentator on CBS Radio. Chester serves as a leadership consultant to firms such as AT&T, Procter & Gamble, American Express, Avis Budget Group, and Cigna. And Chester, I was going to, since you're in the studio, I was going to make some kind of slam as, you know, Adrian has had works translated into 30 languages. However, you've only had them translated into 29 languages, so <laughs> a, little, a little bit behind there. We love working with Adrian and Chester. They've been in front of our microphones before. The best team wins. I'm going to jump right in here with the questions, and I'll let the two of you duke it out for who's going to respond. Your new book is based on extensive research. Can you give us some insight into how big this was, how many people were involved, and the process you used to both identify and isolate the practices used by those who lead these most successful teams. Well, great. Well, this is Chester. So let me uh, chime in here. Uh, Over the years that Adrian and I have been writing together, it's uh, pretty much two decades now, we've acquired a database of over 850,000 engagement surveys. In one of our books called What Motivates Me, Put Your Passions to Work, we also included an online assessment that identified people's passions at work. You know, how you've got who I am at work, what I'm good at at work. This was about what your passions are. And we had also 50,000 of those to draw from. Along with our consulting practices, we took case studies, we took this database, and we came up with these five disciplines of the high-performance team. So really a rich database of just over 900,000 people. And Adrian, you'll, you'll corroborate that, right? He's not, <laughs> he's not pulling my leg. Yeah, no, no. And it's, it's one thing that we did as well is that we really are believers in the power of stories as well. So we have all this data, but it's, you know, the best team wins isn't a, isn't a dense data-driven book. We also went out into dozens of organizations around the world and really found some great teams run by great leaders. So we would go into an organization, we would say, okay, great, where's your best team? Who's your best team leader? And we would end up meeting these amazing people running some amazing teams. So what we were looking for is really what, what 
what those great teams are doing differently today than maybe even five or 10 years ago. Okay, Chester, you mentioned the five disciplines. What are they? What are the five disciplines? And does any single one stand out as the most critical? Or is it a web? Can you not have one, you know, and the other? Talk to me about the, the, the five. Sure. Well, as we delved into the data, and, and as Adrian says, as we work with these really high-performance teams, there were five disciplines that really popped out. You know, the first one was that it's never been harder to be a manager of a team for a lot of reasons. You've got multi-generational, and that was really our first big aha, a very diverse workplace. Now, sometimes we think of diversity as just gender and race, but it's more than that. It's it's generational, it's background, it's language, it's remote, it's gig employees, it's diversity in thought. And so a lot of the things that you learned about how to be a leader of a team, you really have to relearn, and a lot of it you have to throw out because of this incredible global work workplace that we work in and the diversity within that workplace. This whole thing of uh, unlearning, particularly for an older gentleman such as myself, has become more and more of a challenge because you think you have your hands wrapped around a solution or a problem or a you know reality as you understand it. But in actuality, there's a whole lot you have to let go of, right? Adrian? Oh, it's true. Yeah. You know, one of the things we found in our, not only in our research, but in others, we for years have believed that autonomy as a concept is one of the strongest drivers of human behavior. We all want to be autonomous in our work. And, and we, what we actually found is this millennial generation coming into the workforce has autonomy overall as one of their lowest motivators. Out of 23 human motivators, autonomy ranks second to last. And so it's really quite interesting. We, as you say, Dave, we have this bias where we think everybody's like us. And actually, no, we've got a generation coming into the workplace who actually value teamwork. They want to be coached. They want to be mentored. Another finding we had in the data was that they really want to be recognized much more than their older colleagues, that they've grown up with recognition. So this first discipline, understanding generations and realizing we are different, was a real big aha for us. A lot of that has to do with, I understand the book addresses this, but the motivations, or the motivators for both older and, and younger generations. You shared a little bit of that, Adrian Chester. Can you offer you know, perhaps further insights into the different motivations, at least on a generational level? Yeah, well, you know, we focused a lot on the millennials because they're the biggest portion of the workforce now and soon to become 75%. Blah, blah, blah. Millennials, millennials. You know, Adrian talked about, you know, the idea of recognition. And as you, as we looked at the baby boomers and so on, it was more about, not about the stuff, you know, the trophies or the trips or the pins or watches, whatever it might be. It was about legacy. It was what are we leaving behind? What will we be remembered for? And so it's not that recognition is no longer important for baby boomers. It just takes a different form, which actually dovetails nicely because you've got millennials, you've got Gen X, Gen Y, and soon to become Gen Z that are looking for mentors and looking to collaborate. And so, you know, just because we're in the older generation doesn't mean we're no longer needed. In fact, probably needed more than ever to be mentors and to be a part of that. Interesting, you know, Adrian and I did some really interesting work with with Danaher, you know, the way they brought new people into the organization, which was another one of our disciplines, was speed to productivity, was connecting people right from the beginning. I love the story about they'd sit down with new employees and say, here are the five people in the organization, not necessarily in your discipline or in your team, that you need to spend time with and get to know so that you can get things done within the organization. This idea of speed to productivity was a big aha. And again, generationally, how do you address that by using seasoned, experienced leaders and coupling them with your new hires? It was really fascinating. 
Adrian, I have a question for you, and, and Chester, feel free to jump in as well, but do you find this type of approach works better in larger organizations where perhaps teams can be a little bit more come together, break apart, come together, or does it work better in medium to smaller organizations where one person wears a lot of hats and there's a little bit more at stake, you know, and it, I'm just curious, what stories can you tell me there about the size of the organization? Yeah, and we, we did study organizations, you know, our bias is, is larger organizations because that's who Chester and I end up working with a lot. But we also realized that is our bias. So we went into other organizations that are nonprofits, small teams. We actually studied Chip Ganassi Racing, too, is one of our, because they run very small teams in NASCAR or Indy, and, and they're running really small, nimble teams. And so really we did look at teams throughout the world of for-profit, non-profit, government, etc. And what we found, what we're talking about with these disciplines are the overall you know, ideas that were consistent, no matter which industry or which organization you're working in, no matter size of the organization. Because there are some ideas, as we get near the end of the book, we talk about that are more for larger organizations. How do you work cross-functionally among teams? But the early ones within the heart of the book are really how you manage people. And it's how you bring those softer skills into the workplace. Yeah, you know, I think actually it's more important in smaller teams than in larger teams or, or smaller organizations as opposed to larger organizations. Because you don't have that margin of error. You don't have that redundancy. In smaller teams where people wear a lot of hats, you've got to make sure that everything is functioning, that you do have those passions at work. And I would say that as we looked at these, the ahas, the disciplines really were universal across big teams, small teams, big organizations, and small organizations. In the book, you indicate that the best leaders are curious. They ask their employees some form of at least two very basic questions. They ask them frequently, and they ask them probably almost just as importantly with sincerity. Well, what I'm looking at Chester, so he can respond first. <laughs> well, unless you don't know Chester, uh, what, what in essence, what are those? What are those two questions? Well, you know, I'm going to ask Adrian to pop them here because my two questions at the beginning of every day is, uh, "How you doing? How's it going?" Mm-hmm. Which aren't those key questions, but mm-hmm. Adrian, well, you chime in? well, I think the two, yeah, the, the, sort of the two key questions that we've we've seen great leaders ask is, is you know, and Chester's in the right frame there. Is, is how how are you? But with sincerity, not just sort of passing in the hall. Hey, how you doing, buddy? as you're heading to the elevator. No, no, it's, it's how you're doing. And then the second question is, what can I do to help? Right. Now, seem like really simple questions, but as we studied great leaders, they asked those questions with great sincerity, and, and they were, were looking for the answers. They're looking for how they sincerely can be relevant to their employees' experience. You know, that, that, is, that is really interesting, and I think we're almost entering a new golden age of kind of servant leadership, I guess I'll call it, where unless you're really paying attention to those things, and, and it's, a, it's a huge priority, I, b- I believe, for younger than perhaps it is for older, which was more, I'll make my mark, I'll move through pre-described paths, I'll rise to the top. But now it's, it's kind of like, what's the vibe of this team? Am I a valued member? And right. therefore, the, the, the personal, I don't know if I want to use the personal, but the emotional, you know what I mean? The philosophical becomes a part of that. Right. Well, you, Adrian touched on it earlier, and it's the soft skills. People often ask us, what was your biggest aha from the book? And I think one of our the biggest ahas we had was exactly what you're talking about, is that good leaders were very technically proficient, but the extraordinary leaders had great soft skills. And that's what these questions are about. How are you doing? But then how can I help mm-hmm. and mean it? 
take the time, be focused, turn off your cell phone, you know, and focus on really how can we collaborate and making that emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, for us was really interesting. Soft skills are more important than ever in the new dynamic of the new workplace. Obviously, today, many teams don't have the luxury of being in the same proximity, of being in, in the same neighborhood even, sharing a workspace or an office environment or a cube farm or whatever the heck you want to call it. Some teams are virtual. They're internet only. You're Skyping. You're utilizing various web conferencing tools. You're working on the same project, dealing with the same clients and customers, but you're not sharing a cup of coffee <laughs> in the same room with them. What, what are the unique challenges as they relate specifically to things like you know performance issues with these types of teams? Well, let me just uh, jump in really quick. Another one of our disciplines was managed to the one. You know, old school is we treat everybody the same. That's fair, whether they're remote or they're with us or different time zone. Well, the the new reality is, is that everyone is an exception. And Mm -hmm. I know that puts a great burden on the manager because you've got to, you know, find the time to get to know your people and understand what's the best way to communicate. What are the best hours of the day? How do you best respond to evaluations and, and updates and, and criticism or coaching and so on. So this managing to the one, again, is a great soft skill. Understand what is it like to be the only person in the organization working in Malaysia, right? Mm-hmm. Or even the only person in the organization that's that's not in California. Mm-hmm. You've got to really understand that. And that's what we talk about when we say managing to the one. Mm-hmm. I'd add, too, with, you know, with remote employees, managers have to be focused on goals and outcomes more than hours clocked. You know, that, that's, that's something that, you know, sort of is old school. New school is, you know, what are you accomplishing? And that basically means, you know, at least weekly. You're talking about what your accomplishments are going to be during the week, your focus of the past week the, for the following week. You know, quarterly, you're going to be working on goals. You're going to be trying to stretch them. And it really is, you know, connecting with these remote people much more than we ever have before. We always ask leaders we, you know, with the remote people, we say, how long does it take you to get in touch with them if they've done something wrong? And they say, oh, about 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. And how long does it take you to get a hold of them if, if they've done something right? And then they kind of pause and they go, <laughs> yeah, okay. And so typically, what, with, unfortunately, with our remote folks, they often only hear from us when they've done something bad instead of those positive things that we need to help them with their careers, with their goals, and, and talk to them a lot more than we ever have. Yeah, I like where Adrian's going is there's a cadence of communication. Yeah. You know, really, it's all about how do we best communicate? And again, back to generational differences. There's going to be, you know, differences between generations or, or cultures and so on. But having a cadence and an expectation and a consistency, and as Adrian mentioned, focus on results. Not like, hey, whenever I call, you're not there. And yet, you get all your work done. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's positives there as well. Exactly. And just to wrap up here, obviously, here at the AMA, we pride ourselves in our noble cause being the warm campfire around which a new manager looking to sort of figure this whole thing out or a middle manager looking to tune up their skills or an aspiring leader kind of giving them a North Star to aim at. If you were sharing a ride with a brand new manager, and you're sort of sitting in the back seat, and you only had like a minute or something like that to give them some advice, and they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, Adrian Gostick's in the car with me. What, what, would, what, would you, what would you tell this new manager, Adrian? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was sitting on a plane the other day with somebody who has just taken over a team, and I just kind of said to him, look, you know, I mean, I could give you lots of advice, but really there are three things that we really want to know as employees. 
you know, who are we, where are we going, and how will we get there? Sound really simple, right? Who are we, where are we going, and how are we going to get there? But if you help answer those for me, I'm going to be more committed and more engaged. Who are we? Why do we exist? What, what unique thing can we, our little team, bring to the market that makes us relevant and gives us that mission that you just talked about, Dave? Where are we going? So what are our goals? What's, what's our strategy? Where are you taking us? And how are we going to get there? What, you know, what values will we follow? What specific actions should I take as an employee to help further this mission? You answer those simple questions for me. As an employee, I'm going to be more engaged. Yeah. And the one thing I would add to that is create an emotionally safe place to work. You know, Google did this massive study of five years, 130 teams. What were the characteristics of the most innovative teams? Because you've got to be innovative and reinvent yourself. Number one was emotional safety and security, a place where I can speak up and I'm not putting my career in jeopardy. My favorite story in the book is about the International Space Station. You know, we studied the commander who was Canadian, and Adrian and I are both proud Canadians, and so it's a, probably news to your listeners that Canada has astronauts. But, uh, you know, Chris Hatfield, and what he did is, yeah, they trained and they were really smart and they were proficient. They were multi-generational. They were multilingual. They had Russians, Americans, Canadians, and so on. But they had one thing they did over and above all that, the one unwritten rule, which was this random act of kindness every day that every astronaut had to perform for every other astronaut. And it created such a, a servant culture. The message is, let me help you with the calculations. Let me make dinner. Let me clean up. And he said, you know, because of that, we never had heated arguments. We never had misunderstandings. We never had hurt feelings. We exceeded every goal we set. And he says, I'm convinced it's because of that, because the messaging is, and this is great for new managers, is I'm here for you. I'm cheering for you. I want to help you. We're in this together. And I think once you get those soft skills and you get that kind of culture, then you're well on your way to be an extraordinary manager. This is cool stuff. I wish you luck with the book. Uh, again, we've been speaking to Adrian Gostick on the phone and Chester Elton here in the studio about their book, The Best Team Wins, The New Science of High Performance. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for the invite. AMA webinars give you 90 minutes of focused how-to instruction and specific solutions to help you solve your most pressing work issues. Find tactical, practical courses on building work relationships, polishing your spreadsheet skills, managing your team to meet company goals, and more on our events calendar at amanet.org forward slash events. We take feedback very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org. <laughs>